Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color about the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to overcome along the way. And Lee, how are you today, my friend? Hey, Ed, I'm doing well, and I'm glad to be co-hosting with you for this episode with Melinda Joy Mingo. Yes, this was a conversation to remember. Mm-hmm. Melinda Joy is the author of the book, The Colors of Culture, and she has quite a personal story. Yes, I would call her story one of the most amazing stories of perseverance through so many kinds of trials to reach the point of actually writing a book. It is just incredible what she managed to overcome to become a published author. And not only that, she has an amazing heart for people and for valuing the dignity of all people, no matter who they are. It was really a blessing to hear how God used this experience of writing this book in her life and how he's using it in the lives of so many others now. Yeah, I think our listeners will be so inspired and truly moved by Melinda Joy's story. So we should get right on it then. Sounds good to me. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Melinda Joy Mingo. We are excited today to welcome Melinda Joy Mingo to the Every Voice Now podcast. Welcome, Melinda Joy. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Now, if I remember correctly, you are a native Chicagoan. Is that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. You grew up in the Caprini Green neighborhood originally, right? Yes, I did. And you are now an ordained minister. You have a doctorate in global leadership. You're an entrepreneur and of course, a published author. So you've done quite a bit from those days in Cabrini Green. I'd like for our listeners to hear some of the highlights of how you got from point A to point B. Could you share a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in the Cabrini Green Project and uh, had quite a journey. My father was was killed uh, eight weeks after I was born. Mm-hmm. And my mom and my five siblings uh, lived in another area of town. My mom was so traumatized mm-hmm. that she asked the couple if they wanted a baby. They said, okay, we'll take her. And so they lived in Chicago. And uh, I grew up with these strangers, kind of went every year from house to house, if I can say that, never mm-hmm. really had a home. And then my adopted mother died when I was 13 years old. And so I didn't have a mom. And my adopted father died when I was 16. So I was parentless at 16 and became homeless and had quite a journey through homelessness and just all of the trauma of life. Mm. Um, The way that I got here to Colorado Springs, uh, I got married. My husband and I, we we married when we were 27 years old. We, We felt God was calling us to a new beginning. A bright beginning. We moved from Gary, Indiana. We moved here to Colorado Springs and my husband died. So literally five months, uh, close to six after being here, I was standing at a cemetery, lowering the casting of my husband with no friends, nothing. Mm -hmm. And then my journey began. And uh, I'm a pastor, actually. I do pastor. uh, I, I say minister, but I'm a pastor and I pastor a ministry to people who really have been socially marginalized mm-hmm. on the edge, if I could say that, mm-hmm. um, because I, I ended up in homelessness here in Colorado Springs because when my husband died, we came here with nothing. And it's a huge story behind it, but I would just say this. I've learned a lot 
about lived experiences. And one of the things that I often say is never ridicule a pain that you have never experienced and never critique an experience that you have never gone through. Because uh, yes, I have degrees, I have a PhD now in global education and leadership, masters, all that, but situational emergencies can happen to anyone. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and when that happens, everyone is just kind of stunned and I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're an executive or wherever you are, when something abruptly happens like that, that you did not have time to plan for, now you're kind of propelled into a new, a whole new journey. And what I've learned through that is this, I have this statement that our pain has a mission attached to it. And it's not so much, I feel, what people have accomplished in the end. I believe it's what we've had to overcome Mm -hmm. to get to this place. I believe most importantly, that's huge. And so I just think for me, I've just really pressed into Jesus and I haven't had the resources a lot in life because I came up through severe poverty. I mean, eating peanut butter sandwiches every week or drinking jello water because we didn't have anything mm-hmm. to eat. So uh, my main thing was going to Goodwill with $15 and going, oh my gosh, I got $15. So I I grew up in poverty. I kind of still had the poverty mindset a little bit. And so then when I, again, began to seek out different things, again, I was homeless when I got my bachelor's degree. I was living in a homeless shelter Mm -hmm. and I got permission out of the shelter to leave every evening, got a pass to go to school. I just realized I wanted to do something more. And so for, for over a year and a half, um, I, I was living in a shelter in a college trying to pursue something that would help me get up out of this situation. And, you know, sometimes I always say, it seems like as soon as I've come out of a storm, um, I've only come out long enough to go into another one. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do believe a huge part of my journey in life has birthed why I have, you know, God has birthed compassion in my life for people. It doesn't matter. They don't have to be homeless. They don't have to be whatever, but the pain and the hurt mm. of what people from any culture or background is going through, you know, it was was huge and why I even wanted to write the book because um, as I was preparing to complete the manuscript for this book, I was living in my car again with another situation. I was homeless writing this book for IDP. Could you share a little bit more about that situation and how on earth did you write this book in the midst of that situation? Yes. And it was an abrupt situation. I was living um, in a house at a time and the situation occurred with a family who needed their house back because they were in a tsunami and they had children and I couldn't bear to see this family and their kids outdoors. So I relinquished my place so that they would have a place but because it was so abrupt, I didn't have time to plan. I mean, my finances were low. So I lived in my car in a parking lot in Walmart, in one of our Walmart super centers. And my friends, some of them, I didn't have that many at the time, but my friends would allow me to sleep in front of their homes. Mm-hmm. They would come out. We would have pajama car parties in the, in the car. And so I wrote the book and I kept thinking it was so challenging. I'm, I can't do this. I was like, it is too uh, too difficult. I'm writing a book, the main thing about the value, worth, and dignity of every person. Mm-hmm. And so I feel so devalued. I feel so devalued sleeping in my in my car with a master's degree, with a bachelor's degree, just struggling through life. 
And people I know are going to judge me. I know they will. They say, Melinda Joy, why can't you get up on your feet? But I, I believe the thing for me, um, I say for both, you know, Helen and Edward, I was so determined that I can't write a message that I refuse to believe myself. Mm. I cannot. And so if I'm so passionate about the value, worth, and dignity of all people, can I still believe that while I am writing a manuscript, sleeping in my car and homeless and um, going to soup kitchens Mm. and going to places to take showers and coming back to my car at night and writing a manuscript about the value, worth, and dignity of all people, can I still do that? And it was a press. It was a journey. And I, at one point, I actually at IVP, I've had these amazing editors who work with me. And I told them, I said, I can't do it because the deadline had come. Mm-hmm. And I said, I can't. I appreciate the opportunity. But I, my life circumstance are superseding me getting a book out into the world. Mm-hmm. And, and my editors were like, Melinda Joy, we need your message. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you press through what you're going through? Your message is needed. And it's going to be even more powerful because you have lived it. And you're living it now. And so I pressed yeah. through for that message. And right before my book was, uh, my manuscript was turned in, my mom died. She was such an advocate mm. of, of valuing people. And, and my mom worked as a maid for 40 years. And I asked my mom, I said, mom, you're brilliant. Have you ever thought about doing anything else other than cleaning toilets all to say, being honest, you know, she was amazing. She could, she could read chemistry tables. Mm. She's, I said, what about your own business? She said, I am in my own business. Most people will not recognize it. And you will understand this. I'm in the business of valuing people. I am a value keeper. And when people can't value me because they look at me with a uniform on and then I'm cleaning their toilets, Mm. she said, always remember the person right in front of you will need something beyond what they see. She's passed on a value that you communicate beautifully in your book, which is exactly about this whole topic we've been talking about of valuing the dignity of all people. When did you first have the idea that you wanted to write about this? Like, What was the genesis of when you felt like God placed on your heart, mind, and soul? This is what you are called to write about. Actually, I was 14 years old and I didn't know, um, you know how I could get a message published, but I started this club in our alley in, in inner city Chicago mm-hmm. and I called it the leadership club. And so all the little kids would come, I mean, from eight on. And I would say, what do you want to do? Who are you? How do you see yourself? But I would take my allowance and buy them candy and all that. And they would come for candy. And they would say, listen, lady, you're old. You're 14 years old. We don't know anything about that. And, and I just kept pushing and thinking, I am called to be a cultural bridge person. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm living in the inner city of Chicago, even though I don't have much uh, interaction with people from different cultures. I kept feeling it, and even as a team. And so, when as I, um, I would say, right before um, I was, my proposal was accepted by University Press. I was teaching a class at Fuller Seminary, and I was teaching a class on the incarnational life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and the question was, who was Jesus with? Everybody that nobody else wanted to be with. And at that moment, the Lord was like, "It's time for your book." Melinda Joy, you're writing on a topic that is more prevalent now about culture and race. Uh, We're talking more about it than we ever have in many ways. Why is it important for your particular voice to be 
represented in the marketplace. And you know what what are you what are you bringing that no one else can bring? I feel that it's a prophetic voice, and what I mean is this: that I pressed through every thought that I could, every every anxiety to write this book because I totally believe the message of my book, yes, is about value, worth, and dignity, but we are in a racial divide. We have been, I mean, but there's been an upsurge. And if I may say this here, um, even during our pandemic and the situation with George Floyd, um, you could just see the upsurge of what was uh, underneath, you know, the entire time. And so my driving uh, passion about the message is that, yes, we want to talk about racial reconciliation, racial healing, but my message goes beyond just reconciliation. It goes to the point of how do we become now people who live this message with each other, that we begin to look and say, here is a piece about humanity that we may miss. And part of that is every person that we meet, every person, no matter what their background is, probably has some measure of story, even if it doesn't intertwine with ours that we miss because we're too afraid. We are so afraid of coming out of these places of comfort. We are. And so the need for me is that I want a book. Yes, I want a book that talks about racial justice or injustices. I want a book to talk about how we are divided. But more than anything, I wanted a message that would help people to also see the perspective of why we can connect with people from any race or background when we begin to see them through the eyes of Jesus. Well, thank you for that. We, we need to take a quick break, um, but we're just getting going here. So I'm excited to continue this conversation. When we return, Melinda Joy will do a reading for us and we'll talk more about her book writing process. But stay tuned and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. From Truth's Table and University Press, get in the word with Truth's Table, a daily audio Bible podcast read by Akemeni Uwan and Dr. Christina Edmondson of Truth's Table. Join us each day as we get in the word. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast player. Welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Helen Lee, and it's time for our Behind the Word segment, where we hear a reading from our guest author today and find out more about what went on behind the scenes of writing that portion. So, Melinda Joy, what will you be reading for us today? Yes, I will be reading from Chapter 3 just uh, very briefly, um, and it's titled Lessons in Humility. And I just want to read three paragraphs from that. The true way and the sure way to friendship is through humility, being open to each other, accepting each other just as we are and knowing each other just as we are. And that's Mother Teresa. Intensely jet lagged and groggy. When I stepped off the plane shortly after midnight, I was honestly terrified. I was at Nambas, International Airport in Hanoi, Vietnam. 
The year was 2005. I had traveled over 20 hours on two planes with more than 300 people who did not look like me and most of whom did not speak English. Even before I arrived though, shortly after my takeoff with Korean Airlines from Los Angeles, I had asked myself what in the world had I been thinking to agree to become a guest lecturer at Hanoi University in Vietnam. An organization had first approached me earlier that year and offered me an opportunity to go to Vietnam with a team of professionals who would spend weeks teaching various topics and engaging with the Vietnamese culture. I was a bit skeptical, yet also excited. I believed it would be a wonderful opportunity to live and teach diversity and human resource management. But I immediately went right to the race question. Specifically, I asked, are there any black people working in Vietnam? A friend asked me if it really mattered whether there were any black people in Vietnam or not. And I responded, well, yeah, kind of. I'm just being honest. I just wonder if I would be an odd spectacle in a country that fought a war with America and probably has no frame of reference for black people. My friend looked at me and laughingly said, you are an odd spectacle in any country, even here in the United States. Melinda Joy, could you tell us more about why you why you shared that particular passage and what was it like writing it? Yes, I shared this passage because a huge portion of this book was was also birthed in Hanoi, Vietnam. Um, from 2005 to 2013, I had this amazing privilege to live in Vietnam and not only live and, and teach, but to learn about people from a whole different perspective. I wrote this because I was terrified to take this opportunity. And I went to the, to the black team, black race thing. And I said, I have been so dishonored in America. Um, I'm going through so much stuff. Am I going to go to another country and then the dishonor is going to be even greater and I can't even speak the language. And the reason why I wrote this is because when I pushed past all of my fears, I was terrified. I will be honest. It's not, I was honest to, to, about going to Vietnam. I arrived in, in Vietnam at Bac Toy Airport. And when I got there at midnight, there were shopping carts full of flowers. And I saw them on the other side of the gate. And I was like, man, some dignitary must be coming in or something. And when I got past the gate, my name was on it. And, and the deans from schools and students, they were waiting for me and they had lined up shopping carts full of flowers. And that was the beginning of one of the greatest experiences of learning my worth and my value. I didn't learn my worth and value here in America. I mm. learned my worth and value in Vietnam with people that I learned to love and who mm. loved me back. Wow, mm. that's, that's powerful. Mm. I appreciate how you share those stories, uh, those very personal stories of, of interacting with so many different kinds of people here. And, and also just appreciate your transparency and your humility, uh, your honesty about some of your stumbles and cross-cultural communication. Is it hard to be so vulnerable about your, your own story in this, this context of sort of cross-cultural relationships? You know, I used to be, I was like, oh, okay, you're here uh, in, in one of the joy, people call me MJ. 
and I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion trainer. And uh, and I work with law enforcement. We, I work with the police department and the sheriff's department as a trainer here in, in Colorado. And so when I'm standing in front of people, it's like, don't tell your stories, girl. <laughs> Just go ahead and give them the information. And then right. I really, and I knew the Lord was saying to me, but your stories are proof to other people that you not only can teach something, but you have lived and you have, you have made mistakes. We all make mistakes. And, and I've made a lot of mistakes. And I was real, the book, uh, The Colors of Culture, um, I'm very transparent about my mistakes that I made. Because again, I realized I had to confront my own biases as a black woman mm-hmm. in America that I have prejudice against people, you know, and certain mm-hmm. races and certain things. Because it can't just be a one-way thing all the mm-hmm. time. You know, a, a come over here and you change. No, it needs to be a go-to. Let, let me, you know, go to and come to. So I just, it, it was difficult, but now it's not. I, I'm, I have to be real. And I believe that part of the impact of what I do as a trainer or a coach or whatever will come from my real stories. I mean, in mm-hmm. Vietnam, if I could say this, my life was transformed in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I have never been so in love with people as I as I did living in Asia and then being in Korea and then being invited to Japan. And, and I realized the Lord said, because you connected with human beings. Melinda Joy, I, I appreciate hearing about this aspect of your own identity journey. I would love to hear even a little bit more because it, it sounds like there was something about your own ownership of who you are, who God made you to be as a Black woman that became healed in Vietnam. And I'm wondering if you could just go there a little bit more deeply. I'd love to understand that a little bit more. Yes, I I felt for a while here in in America that as a Black woman, that I was always compared and contrast to whites, that I didn't have equal access, even though people would say, oh, Melinda Joy, the playing field is equal. You know, just go to school, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do this thing. And yet I just felt I never had it. When uh, Martin Luther King died, I was really young. And and I remember dropping to my knees and going, oh, my God, Martin Luther King is gone. I was like, Jesus, make me a white woman. Mm. I said, please. I said, I will never succeed in this America as a black woman. And my identity was so flawed. And I talk in my book about how I I dyed my hair blonde and, and I had my green contacts and I bleached my skin. And part of that came as I was... Um, applying for um, a big national position here in the U.S. And out of 500 people, I was like number two. I made it to the second person to be chosen. Mm. And the person who interviewed me said, Melinda Joy, you're brilliant and all of that, but I can't hire you because you're Black. And I'm not racist, but but the people in, in my company, we're talking about people on Wall Street, they are not going to relate to you as an African-American mm. woman. If you had blonde hair and blue eyes, I would hire you. Oh my he said, go ahead, do the lawsuit thing. And of course, you know, I was like, no, it's not worth it. But that thing really stained me. And so because my identity was flawed, mm-hmm. I never saw myself with value and worth. It was hard for me to see other people the same way. And before going to Vietnam, God had really, you know, healed me from that stuff. Mm-hmm. But what I experienced in Vietnam was that that was different, as you asked from here. Mm-hmm. I just walked into a country where I didn't feel like I had to perform. 
I didn't feel like people were judging me about, okay, so what do you have? What, what house do you live in? What joy? How much money have you amassed? I just had people who loved me so well until mm-hmm. if I just said, I want rice. I had one of my students get on her motorbike and, and drive an hour out of Hanoi to a village to bring me back a bowl of rice. Mm-hmm. And it's so impacted me. I mean, the sacrifice, the love. I mean, I was loved on so deeply. And so it made me think, you know, why do we think we have to always group in groups of like people mm-hmm. who look like us, people who have the same experiences as us? And that's the premise of my book. It's not true that the Lord has made us in such a way that some of the very people who will befriend you and love you are people who don't look like you, mm-hmm. don't have your experiences, but they will love you. Yeah, you tell that story in your book, which is amazing to see how God wove together all these experiences that were both deeply painful, but then also these expressions of love and care from people that you weren't expecting. So it's encouraging to see the ways that God has moved through you, even through your most difficult and most painful times. And that actually, that makes me think of another question, which is, I think that especially for people of color. And of course, our podcasts were mostly highlighting these experiences and stories of our authors of color. I think that it can be hard sometimes to write about those honest, hard, painful moments. Uh, they have stories to tell. They they have a lot to share, but it's really hard to be willing to be that vulnerable. So I'd love to hear some advice you might have for Authors of color who are out there, who are listening, they have stories to tell, but it's it just feels so hard to be that open with the kinds of pain and the kinds of struggles they've had. Do you have any advice for authors who are in that place? Yes, I would just encourage authors to, to really move past the whole self-inflicted perspective that you can never share your stories. And so a lot of times people will say, oh, we need different narratives. We want to hear different stories. And I would say to authors of color that Jesus is changing the storytellers and putting Mm -hmm. a lot of new storytellers in front of people Mm -hmm. so that the stories can be different. I would say to authors of color, as you go into the front, remember that Jesus wants you to bring something different. And yes, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. And I believe that what's changing you all is that. People of color and authors of color are invited to tables a lot. We're invited to tables, but the menu has already been set when we get there. And so we get the tables. Yeah. You know, we want you to do this. We've got you in the room, you know, whatever. But hey, I want you to say this. Don't articulate this too much. Don't share too much. People are not ready. And I just refuse to do that anymore. I'm just Mm. like my story, my lived experiences, they cost a lot. And so if you want me to come, invite me into the kitchen. Invite me into the place where nothing has been said yet. Mm. And then let's go to the table together. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Thank you, Melinda Joy, for your honesty, your transparency, and your courage to say what needs to be said. I can't wait to keep going with our conversation, but we need to take a quick break. And when we return, we will continue our conversation with Melinda Joy. We'll find out a little bit more about her writing habits, maybe some quirks, and you'll also find out how to get a special discount on Melinda Joy's book. So stay tuned. And thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. 
Have you heard about the new monthly book club from InterVarsity Press? IVP Book Drop is the perfect club for readers who want to grow spiritually, hear from diverse voices, and start powerful conversations on today's most important cultural topics. Plus, it's only $9.99 each month. When you join IVP Book Drop, you'll receive our best-selling title, Reading While Black, by Isa Macaulay, as your very first book. And after that, you'll continue to receive one curated book a month for just $9.99. As a listener of the Every Voice Now podcast, you already know many of the diverse authors featured, like Drew Jackson and Isa Macaulay, and you'll meet even more authors like them each month. IVP Book Drop is the easiest and most affordable way to receive the latest IVP books from your favorite authors. To learn more and join today for only $9.99, visit ivypress.com slash EVN22. That's ivypress.com slash EVN22. Save big on books worth talking about by signing up for IVP Book Drop today. You are listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Ed Gilbreth. Today, we've been talking with Melinda Joy Mingo, author of The Colors of Culture, and keep listening to find out how you can get a special 40% discount on Melinda Joy's book at ivypress.com. But first, let's find out a little bit more about your writing habits and quirks, Melinda Joy. Are you ready for this? Mm, yes, I'm ready. Where is your favorite place to write? My favorite place to write is at coffee shops. Mm. I don't do well writing in quiet spaces. I don't know why. I just I tend to be very lethargic if I'm in a quiet space. So the louder the noise or whatever. So uh, I've been at probably every coffee shop in this city while I was writing my manuscript. Was that part of your experience in writing this particular book? Because we heard earlier your story of how you had to write this when you were in a situation where you were without a home. So where exactly then would you go? Would you go to all night coffee shops to write this book? Was that part of your experience? It was. So we have a donut shop that's open 24 mm seven -hmm. and it was my place, but it was also a place where Jesus met me with so many people. Mm -hmm. And I, I write about this in my book because um, every night that I would go to Dunkin' Donuts, there's another person. And then people began to know that I was writing this book mm -hmm. and they were like, hey, MJ, what's going on? Hey, do you need a story from us? So it became a community thing. And we, they started meeting me at Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> at certain times of the night. And we would just sit. They would pray for me. Mm. They would bring me donuts and stuff. So it became a hub of the book as well. Mm. I love that. I love that that kind of lived experience ended up actually becoming part of your book, I believe. Do you remember a particular story or character or person um, from those kinds of experiences that you want to tell us the story about? As I was finalizing uh, the manuscript and I was like, where do I go to write my final chapter? Mm. And it was like, ah, Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and so I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go at midnight. And by the way, uh, listening audience, I don't eat that many donuts. I just want to let you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm putting that in there. That's <laughs> so. willpower, Melinda Joy. Whenever I'm at a Dunkin' Donuts, I can't help but get a donut. They all, they all look so good. So that's pretty impressive. <laughs> no, but I especially remember working on the last chapter and I have to feel that this was God inspired that as I was sitting there, um, a person had come in who was really going through a difficult situation in life. It was a lady and uh, she came over and the Lord told me to pause. He said, I want you to pause your book and I want you to bring hope and minister to her about Jesus. 
And she did. And I, I mean, I did. And so that moment was cathartic. She went and got someone else in the car and said, hey, there's a pastor up in there in Dunkin' Donuts. Mm. And she's praying for people. <laughs> there's a mm. prayer line in Dunkin' Donuts. And so the manager was like, okay, MJ. I see people lined up out mm. here. There's a prayer line here. And so the owner went and got donuts and put on the counter. And so as people were waiting for prayer, they would get a donut. <laughs> and I was sitting there praying for people. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness. Linda Joy, as we wrap up our time together, what's your hope for the long-term impact of how God will use your book? You've told so many great stories of the number of different kinds of people who now have it all over the world. So it's obviously having an impact. What's your hope, your dream for how God will use this book in the long run? My hope is that the message in my book, which derives from it's an African term, Ubuntu. Mm. And Ubuntu means I am because we are, that I can never fully be who I am unless I'm in community with you. Mm. My hope and prayer is that this message will circulate the globe, that we will begin to see the outbreaks of people reaching out to people from different cultures and lifestyles, mm. that people will cross over and out of their comfort zones and, and learn that we do have more alike in common than different. That yes, absolutely, we are fragmented and there's still things that have to be mended, but can we become the bridges of mending? Yeah. Can we become the bridges of hope? And so I am so hopeful that as we think about our fragmented society, that the message would be the beauty of diverse friendships, not just people sitting together for company, but also that we will be reminded as believers that we are called to go and make disciples and that we don't get to pick and choose mm. who we go to. Yeah. Wow. That's good. It's beautiful. Linda Joy, we have officially come to the end of our time together. Um, but before we go, we want to give you a few moments to share with our listeners about any special projects uh, you have going on right now. What, what are you working on at Dunkin' Donuts right now? <laughs> and uh, how can people reach you as well? Sure. So I'm not, I, I go to Dunkin' Donuts, but no special projects. Here's what I will say. My, my one project is the person right in front of me. And that's a phrase that I use that I always want to be mindful of the person in front of me and what God is saying or how he wants me to interact with them. People can reach me either on um, LinkedIn, it's Melinda Joy Mingo. Um, on Twitter, I share a lot of things from, from um, whether events or speaking events or things from IVP. And by the way, I have to say, I have loved my experience with InterVarsity Press. I've had the best people ever working mm -hmm. with me from editors to, to publicity. I have not had any adverse experience and I want to give a shout out because that's really the truth. Mm -hmm. And so again, they can, you can reach me Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, also I'm working on, I do have a business. It's called significant life change. And so my project now Ed, is to gather people who, who are in transitions in life. And I do, um, transitions life coaching with them to help them get mm. to their ultimate life and so it could be wow. people displaced white house mm. I, I work with law enforcement to do training so i'm just in the community and wanting um, not only here in the u.s but but uh, just wanting the voice of people's unique path and destiny to be heard 
Mm. Excellent. Well, That's thank great. you so much. It's been great having you on the show, Melinda Joy. Thank you for, for being mm-hmm. here. And now we wanted to share with you all that you can find Melinda Joy's book, The Colors of Culture, at ivypress.com. And if you use the code EVN40, you can get 40% off and free shipping in the U.S. So visit the IVP site to get a great deal on Melinda Joy's book. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Clausen. If you are enjoying our show, please share about it with your friends. We'd be grateful for your reviews and recommendations on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you directly anytime. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now, or you can email us with your comments, questions, or suggestions at evn at ivpress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now. Every Voice Now.